Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. On the episode today, we have... Hi, I'm Melissa Widner with Lighter Capital. I'm the CEO of Lighter Capital, which is the pioneer and leader in revenue-based financing for SaaS companies. What exactly is revenue-based financing for SaaS companies? That is a great question. So SaaS companies are software as a service, um, and that makes up the bulk of our customers. We've been doing this for um, a little over a decade now, started in the U.S. and launched in Australia earlier this year. Um, Revenue-based financing, it's a form of non-dilutive financing. We don't take any equity. We don't take any warrants. We don't take any um, board seats or control or um, any um, financial covenants. We provide, it's essentially a loan to companies with recurring revenue and they pay us back based on their revenue. So they'll pay us a percentage of revenue until the loan is paid off. And we model the loan to be paid off after about after three years. And if they grow really fast, they don't pay us back anymore, but they just pay us back faster. So it's great. We're, we're really aligned. You know, if they grow slow or grow out of business, we, we get paid back, um, you know, a lot slower and, um, or sometimes not at all if they go out of business. So it's, it's, it's a form of growth capital for startups where the founder doesn't have to take dilution or give up control. How, how did you get involved in this? And why did you decide to do that model? 
Yeah, so I am not the founder. I became the CEO of um, Lighter a year ago, but I feel like everything I've done in my career has kind of led to this point. So I was an entrepreneur. I ran a couple companies that both had successful exits, but both had to take a lot of dilution along the way. Um, and then I worked in venture capital in the U.S. and then in Australia. I moved to Australia in 2009 and um, most recently was running NAB's Venture Fund, NAB's, NAB National Australia Bank's Venture Capital Fund. And uh, yeah. NAB Ventures invested into Lighter Capital in 2018. And I went on the board at the time. Um, after COVID hit, we didn't know what would happen with our book. It was the first time we had seen anything like this. I mean, our loan book in terms of, you know, how the companies would fare. But we needed to bring in a new CEO. And I just absolutely love the company. And um, so I put my hat in the ring and applied for the CEO job. And, and here I am. So I went from sort of startup CEO to venture capitalist for a long time. And then I'm back in the, um, back in the operating role. You mentioned, and that's a great segue, you mentioned you moved to Australia in 2009. At that time, from your point of view, what did the ecosystem community look like? There was nothing in 2009. I mean, really, it was, um, it was, I mean, you know, things were a little depressed anyway, because that was right, you know, GFC, kind of the height of the GFC, but there was not a lot going on. Um, and there were at the time, um, you could count all of the funds that had money to invest, venture funds on one hand and not even use all your fingers. So there just wasn't a lot going on, but there was things starting. So Sydney Angels was starting, which was like one of the first formalized angel groups in Australia. I think the first one in Sydney, you know, to, sort of 2011, you saw more activity. You saw some venture funds get funded. I went on to the um, the federal government's venture capital committee. That was a um, it was a, a division of the of um, the government that funded did matching funding to get venture venture capital funds off the ground. Um, so some of that was going on. And um, a lot has changed. I mean, it's a, a really big difference. I think if you go back to 2009, I think the total amount in venture dollars raised from venture capital firms was like a little over $100 million, and that was mostly government money. And, and now it's in the billions on a, you know, last year it was, would have been in the billions. So um, the, the ecosystem has changed quite a bit. And there's, you know, a few big things that stand out that really led to that change and then a lot of little things. Well, I'd love to talk about those in a second, but what, on that hand, what VC funds did exist in 2009? Yeah. Okay. So um, Southern Cross, they were in 2009, they just gotten some money, I think from the, from the um, IIF and I think One Ventures had just launched at that point. And there were some other funds that were sort of 99 and 2000 funds, but they didn't have money to invest. They had already you know, made all their investments and we're just still managing the portfolio. And what was the third one? I think, um, I think GB maybe had some money to invest, but not many. <laughs> mm. uh, so, so 2009, at what point did you really start to see some momentum build, some things start to coalesce that you go, oh, this is something, something's happening. Yeah. Well, I think one of the big somethings that was happening was Atlassian. So um, 
they, I can't, I think they took their first venture round. They didn't take a venture round until they were like 50 million in revenue. But um, when Excel came in and invested in Atlassian, um, I think people looked around and started thinking, oh, maybe you can make money in this asset class. Um, the, the, the thinking in 2009, 10, 11, really even some people think this today, was that you couldn't really make money in um, venture in Australia, that it wasn't a profitable asset class because you could look back historically and at the times like in 87 and then again in 99 when when um, Australia really did dip its toe into venture capital investing, um, that, that was it was always at the peak of the market and the returns weren't great. And they, you know, in general, they weren't great globally for those vintage years. But you started seeing... Um, you started seeing, you know, especially with one big company, Atlassian, doing so well, I think people started paying attention to maybe, you know, this is an asset class where we can invest and make money. When I say people, I'm talking about the institutions and the super funds. Um, I think a, a, a big catalyst, which wasn't an overnight catalyst, but, you know, Blackbird, their first fund, I think it's technically a vintage 2013, but it's probably been, you know, I think they formed it around 2012. And that's just been phenomenally successful. You know, they have Canva and other, other ones. I mean, they have several really good companies in there, but it's probably um, from a return standpoint in the 0.1% globally for, for that vintage year. So, that I think has made um, a big difference and has has um, led to investors who wouldn't typically pay attention to this asset class. I mean, specifically the super funds starting to invest in this invest in this area. So 2009 to 2012, um, still pretty slow. Still not a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> but some things starting to happen. Yeah, people people tend to point to the kind of 2012 years is when things really start to pick up, and and people mention. It inevitably it always comes up, you know, fish burners, River City Labs. Fish burners started right, yeah. And we forget that um, we forget that Cicada, which was what was their name before Cicada? ATP? ATB Innovations or, or something like that. They they were operating. That was really a um, a startup hub that had been around for a little while. But yeah, fish burners came. I, when was fish burners formed? I think eleven or twelve. Yeah, eleven or twelve. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was ATP Innovations. ATP Innovations, right. Yeah, what else was happening around that? Because I asked people kind of, what do you think the catalyst was? Like what what really kicked things into gear? Look, what you have happening today um, in Australia is you have really smart people, talented people deciding to leave um, big corporate jobs to start companies because there is this ecosystem and there's funding available. I mean, Athena is is a great example of that. So Michael Starkey and Nathan Walsh left NAB, National Australia Bank, to form Athena, which is now a unicorn, and they were able to get funding. Um, I think they did this maybe three or four years ago when it was founded. But, you know, in 2010, it, it wouldn't matter, you know, how great these guys are. There wouldn't have been the opportunity for funding. So what, what led to um, funding? Because Australia's been a wealthy country for quite a long time. And I think what led to it is, you know, really, I think Atlassian was a big catalyst. And then there are some others. And it's certainly what's going on with Canva is, is really quite game changing for the Australian economy. So that's just making investment, uh, pay attention, and that is bringing money in, creating more opportunity for smart people to leave their high pay paying jobs. Yeah, to you have to have the investors, right? You've got to have investors 
in order to get these companies going. And investors aren't going to come into this asset class unless they can see that it, it's potentially profitable. Yeah. So, so I think that's what you had with some, you know, I mean, first of all, it's a great space to to work in. You also had a lot of a lot of government activity, but I mean, government has been, you know, governments. The Australian government's been active in the space for a while. I mean, you can go back to way before two thousand nine, but you know, there's been government initiatives that come and go to try and boost the startup ecosystem. Um, Malcolm Turnbull probably doesn't get enough credit for you know what what he was really trying to do, and he made innovation you know the the forefront of his agenda. So so you just had it um, talked about much more in the mainstream. Um, one of the things too that I can't say this has been a game changer yet, but it will be, is that you know in in two thousand nine you really couldn't issue stock options to employees. So why would anybody leave a job to go to a startup if you know, to make less money if there's not equity upside. And work harder, probably. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of work done by a lot of people in the ecosystem to get the legislation changed there. So you're not getting a tax bill with stock options, which is, you know, ridiculous. But that's how it was in 2009. So that's changed. Um, and then just more money coming into it as a result of um, people in institutions seeing they can make money in this asset class. Talking about present day now, what do you see as some of the gaps that in the, you know, some of the challenges that we face? Well, it's one of the ones that we're trying to fill, which is just um, the, uh, the opportunity for funding um, for companies that aren't uh, a natural venture backed company and venture capitalists um, tend to look for companies that can be unicorns. So there's a lot of great companies that are good growth companies that aren't, you know, they're maybe they're niche or they're not going to be, you know, they don't, the, the, the TAM just isn't big enough. The total addressable market's not big enough for them to become a unicorn. So um, we, Lighter Capital is um, working to fill that exact need, which is to provide funding to companies that for whatever reason, they're not they either don't want venture or they're not venture backable. So that's an area, you know, we're new. We've only been in Australia since the beginning of, um, we just launched in Australia really the beginning of this year. So that's, that's a gap that we're trying to fill. Angels are becoming more active, but there's certainly room to, um, you know, there's certainly room there, but look, the, the ecosystem is stronger now than it's ever been in the history of the country in terms of the startup ecosystem. Can you tell me about Lighter Capital uh, and the name? Yeah, yeah. So Lighter Capital actually was originally founded based on an unpublished research report by a Harvard um, Business School professor who said there should be other ways to get funding for these startups than venture. If you think, you know, venture, they fund, you know, in venture, we would fund one out of every hundred companies that we, that even came across our desk and not every company came across our desk. So it's, it's, you know, what are the options for companies to get funding? Um, there's, you know, these companies, banks aren't going to fund them. Even today, banks aren't going to fund companies that don't have hard assets or personal guarantees and that aren't profitable. And, um, you know, venture capitalists only small fund a really small percentage of, of these tech growth companies. So lighter capital, the name is just, just light. It's not heavy. It's not a heavy burden. So because the payback of the loan is based on a percentage of, of the company's revenue, and it's usually under 10%, you know, the average is around five. 
until the loan is paid back. It's not a big burden. It's 5% of your you know, cash revenue until you've paid the loan back. So we had some companies during COVID that really, really got hit hard. You know, we have some companies in the event ticketing space and they were doing really well until COVID hit and then, you know, revenues declined. So we have companies whose revenues declined 80 or 90% as a result of COVID and the amount that they pay lighter declines by 80 or 90% as well. So they're not stuck with this onerous debt burden because it's always a percentage of the revenue. So hence light and no financial covenants, no personal guarantees, nobody sitting on your board telling you how to run your company. So it's, it's a very light form of capital. Do you have any unpopular opinions about the state of the ecosystem or maybe how we got to where we are, what's what's coming next that, that you firmly believe, but someone, you know, everyone else is just not on the same page? Oh, I have lots of opinions that people aren't necessarily on the same page, but let me see. In our ecosystem... Look, on the employee stock options, uh, we've come a long ways, but um, it's still messy compared to the U.S. It's still a lot of work, and um, you, you still typically have to get a lawyer involved. And, you know, it, it, I mean, Australia's come a long ways because at least now you can issue them without a tax burden. But it would be, it would be good if there were, some, there were a standard whereby companies could easily give all employees options. Um, that doesn't exist yet, which is very much um, the norm for U.S. startups. You know, you have every position pretty much is, you know, you, you, the expectation is when you go into a startup, you'll get some options. And, and, and the reason that's so important, um, I've said this a lot of times, but Atlassian was such a missed opportunity for, the, um, for Australia because um, I'm from Seattle. I'm sitting here right outside of Seattle now. Um, Microsoft completely changed the landscape in Seattle because Microsoft gave options to everybody and it created all these, you know, created a couple billionaires, created a lot of centimillionaires, um, hundreds of decimillionaires and thousands of millionaires. I mean, everybody from, you know, the lowest level employee got options. And if they were there early, they ended up being quite wealthy. And what, what people from tech companies generally do when they create their wealth that way is they go create other businesses or they go other tech businesses or they go and invest in other tech businesses. So, you know, you know, unfortunately, because when Atlassian was getting started in the early days there, it, it wasn't easy to give options. Um, so, so you didn't have that, that same phenomena. How was that wealth then distributed with when that you know that the share options weren't in place? Like it just wasn't distributed. Well, no, you had you you had two guys get really wealthy, right? Yeah, yeah. Who would who would have loved to have given options to their employees in the early days? But it just wasn't something you could do because of the Australian tax code. Mm. What do you think we're doing really well? Like looking at other ecosystems around the world, what what is Australia kind of? punching above its weight on a, or a unique advantage. Yeah. So one area where Australia is doing fantastic and, and I mean, I, we, we, um, you know, we talk a lot about how well we're not doing, but in terms of funding women led companies. So the numbers in Australia are, 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 um, are very strong compared to other parts of the world, even compared to the U S 
Um, I was the co I am the co-founder and I'm the chair of Heads Over Heels, which is an organization that supports women entrepreneurs running companies with high growth potential. And we founded that back in 2010. And you know what's happened since 2010 is just amazing to see um, the percentage of women, uh, the percentage of companies getting funding, getting even getting venture backing that are either founded or co-founded by a woman. I think. Um, Nationally, the numbers are well under two percent. I haven't looked at these in at these in a while, but in Australia, it's over twenty percent. So we're we're doing we're doing pretty well in that area. We're still doing very poorly in terms of women in venture in Australia, and I'm talking about women at the partnership level, women who have the ability to make investment decisions. There's still a long ways to go there, but in terms of funding women. Um, Australia is doing great. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, you, you, you look for pattern recognition and what's our most successful unicorn in the country right now. It's, it's um, run by a woman, run, run and founded by a, a young woman. So, you know, people don't think you can't make money by funding women now. So it's, I think that's one of the reasons that um, I think Canva is responsible for, you know, um, just a, a lot more activity we're seeing in this space. What needs to change to, to get more women into those, those partnership uh, or partner levels to make those decisions? Well, I'm putting a spotlight on it, and that has been done, which is good. There aren't a lot of venture funds anymore that don't at least have some women. They're usually at lower levels. But, um, you know, hopefully those uh, ones that are at the, the lower levels, the below partnership um, below partner will, will be eventually promoted. So, you know, if we don't see a lot of partners in three years, then there's something wrong because there's the, the bigger funds certainly do have women at um, more junior levels. Um, but I think what really needs to happen to change is for the, the people, the LPs who are investing in the funds to make it one of their criteria that they're not going to invest in funds that don't have diversity at the partnership level. And as soon as that happened, you would, you'd see a lot of diversity at the partnership level. Mm. What advice would you have for new founders coming in? Um, oh, there's so much, but, um, just, just one. (laughs) (laughs) Pick your investors wisely. Mm. Pick your investors, not your valuation. So, I mean, a lighter valuation doesn't matter. We don't, we're, there's no, we don't, you know, we're not putting a valuation on companies. We're giving them funding. But I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of um, startups end up picking the valuation rather than the investors um, in terms of the interim valuation. And the interim valuation doesn't really matter that much. It's, it's the valuation that exit at exit that is really the only one that matters at the end of the day. And, you know, also how much of the company you own when that exit happens and getting the right partners on board is going to, um, you know, increase the likelihood of there being a really positive exit at the end. Do you miss working in venture capital as opposed to now being in operations? So, um, the things that I loved about venture are working with the entrepreneurs. So I was an entrepreneur. Um, entrepreneurs are the most interesting, fascinating people in the world. And it's just a privilege to spend time with them. And, um, I get to do that all day long now. So I don't miss the best part of the job, which is helping the entrepreneurs, you know, providing them with capital, but also helping them with other things like connections and advice and, um, so no, but if I were in a software company running an enterprise software company, which is what I did before I went into venture, um, yeah, I would really miss it. I would miss that 
you know, just that energy that, that I get from, you know, from helping the most interesting people in the world. This, this last question with the last kind of five, six minutes, maybe is not really a question. I want you to just share something that's kind of top of mind, something that's really important, keeping in mind that I'm trying to create a documentary here that will holistically and very honestly tell the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. I want people from all corners of the ecosystem to hear this story. Mm. What message do they need to hear from Melissa? Well, on the Australian ecosystem in, in spe- specifically, I think it, it's things that we discussed before, which is um, one thing, there's still a lot of room to get more superannuation funds investing in this asset class. We know that this pool of capital is what, three trillion plus now, you know, what if we could just get 1% into this asset class, there's still big room for growth. So um, I would like to see um, there some, not mandates, but some real incentives for superannuation funds to invest into this asset class. and we still do need to straighten out the stock options piece and make it simpler. It's a lot better than it was. So when I think about what we could do to improve the Australian ecosystem, um, I, look, if you had asked me three or four years ago, I'd have a lot more to say. But there's so much great, there's so many great things that are going on right now. If you look at what the Victorian government's doing to support the startup ecosystem, you know, they're, they're funding, um, a women's angel fund. They're, they're funding a, I was just on the selection committee for, um, a fund of funds to go out and fund eight different, um, uh, Victorian based VCs and they're funding venture debt funds. So, I mean, the, the government is really, the Victorian government is doing an amazing job, really, you know, really stepping up to get this, you know, to, to get the ecosystem going. Thank you so much for your time, Melissa. Um, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh, that's what I ask at the end of all my um, reference check questions. So that's a good one. Um, we got to talk about the women VCs. We got to talk about funding. Look, Australia is doing a great job on that special talent visa. They're making it a lot easier for people with startup experience to get in the country. Like, incredible. I mean, now we have to open up the country. That's a different issue. But um, it, it's, you know, it's. I know people who it took them weeks to get a visa, which is amazing to come and work in Australia. So, so that's happening. Um, uh, look, Australia is doing a lot of things right on this front. I wouldn't have said that five years ago. Okay. Well, why? What changed? Um, well, so five years ago is maybe the wrong, um, you know, the wrong timing, but, you know, one more government support for programs, um, the, the people that are managing large chunks of money investing in this asset class, um, highlighting and really celebrating, um, you know, successful tech companies. So if you went and read the AFR 10 years ago, you would never see anything about even startups. What AFR loves to write about startups right now. That's that's a relatively recent phenomenon. But you kind of you need to see that to you know to build the momentum in the ecosystem. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.